Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant and Jerry. And uh, this is Stuff You Should Know. Hey, dude. How's it going? Good. How are you, man? Good. Uh, Chuck. Yes. Chuck. Yes. You love New York, right? Sure do. I love New York, too. It's a good city. It's a great city. In fact, I think we suggested first that someone do that on a t-shirt. I love New York? Yeah. I don't recall that. Sure. Oh, man. You haven't been getting your checks? No. Oh, well, I'll make sure you get those. I don't think the person who really created that has been getting any checks for a long time. Yeah, that'd be an interesting little thing to look up. I bet you it's unknown to history. Who who did it? Yeah, who did I Heart New York in that iconic font? I think it is known. Oh, it is? Yeah, I think it is known. I think it was probably somebody who's contracted by, like, not the Chamber of Commerce, but some tourism board maybe for New York. Like the guy who wrote Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Yes, but he got his copyright back from Montgomery Ward, remember? Yeah, that's true. It's like the most benevolent thing any corporation's ever done. My mind's still blown, and that was two Christmases ago that we first learned about it. Yeah. Anyway, I wonder, though, if I Heart New York is actually in the public domain, or if it's just been pirated so much that they just don't even try to police it any longer. Maybe, because we, for our Canadian tour, um, Yumi designed the I Canadian Leaf Canada shirts. Right. In place of the heart. Yeah. And those are great. You can actually buy those in our store. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> we never plug our store. No, we don't. It's crazy. It's like we just pretend it doesn't exist. I but it like, does exist. Yeah, I felt like a jerk for a second there by plugging the store. I was like, wait a minute. I don't think we've ever plugged it. We're allowed to do that. Yeah, you can actually buy shirts. Yeah, it's on our website, yeah. stuffyoushouldknow.com. All right. In the top nav, I think it says store. You just click that. All, all the stuff. The classic SYSK bowling shirt is on there. Classic. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, so anyway, New yeah. York. Uh, New York made the news recently, as it does from time to time, Chuck, in that <clears throat> it was discovered that the flea that was responsible for spreading bubonic plague yeah. has been found alive and well on the rats of New York. Did you know that? What? Yeah. Now, the, the people... Um, who conducted this study. They just rounded up like some rats and tested them. And they're like, yep, this one's got it. Yep, this one's got it. They were quick to point out that the bubonic plague itself, which is called um, Yersinia pestalis, it's a bacteria that causes the plague, which is nasty, right? Yeah. Did we do, we didn't do a bubonic plague. We did black plague. Yeah, or black death or something. Yeah. That was a good episode. I think this is different. Sure. Uh, but the bubonic plague, it's it's caused by a bacteria, Yersinia pestalis. And they, they said that they didn't find Yersinia pestalis in the fleas. They just found the fleas, the oriental rat flea, yeah. on the rats of New York. So they're saying, you're probably not going to catch the plague. It turns out the most uh, people who get the plague, all seven of them every year in the U.S., get them here in the south. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's nice. So steer clear of the southern rats, but the New York rats could just as easily spread it, too, because everything's in place for it to spread. Right. So fleece. Man, that's a good, that's an old school intro. It was okay. No, it was good. I'm a little rusty. So, yeah, fleas, we've done uh, ticks, and we've done um, flies, and we've done bees. Termites was a really good one. Remember them? Termites. Uh, We have dabbled in the insect world. Yeah, and this is a Tracy Wilson article who wrote, like, 
all of the insect articles. She did. You could tell this one came later, and she's like, I'm so tired of talking about the thorax yeah. that I'm not even going to mention it in this one. Just go <laughs> read any of the other articles. Yeah, and, she, and there was one line in here where she was like, yeah, and like the life cycle is like most other insects. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Don't be dumb. Go read any of these hundred other ones I've written about it. Yeah. Uh, so fleas are the bane of my existence. And I'll pepper throughout the podcast my experience okay. with my animals and fleas because I've had a couple of major infestations yeah. in my life. But um, they are parasites, and that means that they feed on the host, in this case, drinking your blood uh, like a tick does. Yeah, yeah, that's true. For some reason, I don't equate fleas with ticks, though, even though they're so similar. Yeah. But yes, they both drink blood. And in fact, what the t- what the flea eats... It's called a blood meal. That's so gross. It's not just called dinner. They call it a blood meal. <laughs> yeah, there are about 2,000 species of flea. Mm-hmm. Um, we are mainly going to concentrate on, I think they call it the cat flea. Well, that's the most common here in the States. Yeah. Um, and the cat flea is not just attracted to the cat. It also no. likes dogs. Sure. also likes humans. A little bit. Um, and then there's the dog flea, which is also attracted to cats. And dogs and humans, but it'll also attach itself to raccoons, yeah. pigs, livestock, wild animals. It's not very picky. Yeah, like the the flea you get in your on the squirrel in your yard, that squirrel that haunts you in your yard, mm-hmm. um, is going to be different than the one on your pet inside, largely because that squirrel is never laying down for hours on end during the day. Right, uh, where the flea will, you know find a nice lazy dog and be like, this looks like a great place to fornicate and lay eggs and have a blood meal or two. (laughs) (laughs) Do my whole thing Yeah, with my mouth parts. But for that reason, if you ever do find a squirrel that's stunned or possibly dead, just lying there, don't roll on it because the fleas will jump out onto you. Have you seen those photos? They're old, but of the dead squirrels with the, the action figures? Uh, I showed these to Scotty the other day. He had never seen it either. Oh, I, I should tell everybody. It's made an inquisitive Oh, book. yeah. It's super old, but the someone at one point found a dead squirrel and got, like, G.I. Joe action figures and as if he had hunted it, like, you know, doing a hunting pose, like, uh-huh. with his leg propped up on the squirrel's head. <laughs> oh, yeah. And there's another one with the guy, like, holding up the squirrel's head like it was no, a I big game. No, I have seen that. It's really funny. It and it, it's funny because... They didn't kill these squirrels to do it because that would be a different deal. Squirrel died naturally. I'm assuming the squirrels just like, car. yeah, run over in the road. And someone was like, hey, let me get my GHOs out. Right. Like they were hunting big game. Because that's what you do. But you should not ever stage one of these by killing an animal. No, and you really probably shouldn't stage them anyway because the people who did stage them probably yeah. did get fleas. And they yeah. got cat fleas or dog fleas. I'm sorry. And maybe the plague. So, Chuck. Yes. Um. We said that they feed on blood. They yes. have blood meals. They are kind of picky, but not altogether picky when it comes to the kind of hosts that they have, right? Yeah. And that you said that they're parasites. And they're specifically ectoparasites, which means they live outside of the body. Yeah. Rather than endoparasites, which live inside the body. Like a tapeworm. Right. But Gross. the thing that they have in common is that all they do is take, 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 and they give nothing back in return. But grief. Right. Which you don't really want. So it's not a symbiotic relationship. It's a parasitic relationship that you have with your fleas. Yeah, it's a one-way street. Right. Um, 
fleas are the little guys, of course. Um, we, we'll, I think you know what we're talking about. We will describe it. <laughs> it's wingless. Um, they have these hard plates called uh, sclerites yeah. um, that their body is covered with, which is why if you've ever had a flea and just mashed them between your thumb and finger and been like, take that, and then he goes, doing, <laughs> and jumps off. You're like, how did that happen? Yeah. It's because it's, they're covered with these small plates to help that. Sclerites. Yeah. Yeah. you you got to really work to kill a flea, like with your fingernails. And it not only protects fleas from fingernails, it also protects them from falls mm-hmm. because they will jump. They're known to jump. Yeah, should we go ahead and talk about that? I think we should. It's pretty amazing stuff, really. It's pretty neat. Uh, what, what are the stats there? So a flea can jump about seven inches vertically. That's up and down. Yeah, seven to eight. And 13 inches horizontally, right? So big deal, seven inches. Right. So remember in the cockroach episode? Yeah. Where they can move 50 body lengths in a second, which <laughs> to humans is like 250 miles an hour? Yeah. This is very similar. Um, in human terms, a flea's jump would be a 250-foot vertical jump from a human. That's a lot. That is crazy. And a 450-foot horizontal jump. Yeah. So when the flea jumps six inches, you should be very impressed. It is impressive because the current record for a standing long jump is 12 feet. And a a flea could jump the equivalent of 450 feet. (laughs) That's right. Setting world records from your dog's butt on a daily basis. Just one of the uh, amazing things about a flea. Um, And creepy. Uh, the exoskeleton is smooth looking when you're looking at the little flea on your knee. Mm-hmm. But, uh, what it really has is a bunch of little tiny hairs, um, sort of comb back like, uh, like a cool guy would do. <laughs> like the fawns. Like the fawns would do. They're pointing away from the head and that, uh, those little backwards pointing hairs mean that they can sail through your dog or cat's fur without getting hooked. Right. But if you go and try and get the flea out, that will serve as a hook, like Velcro. Yeah. And anchor it in that fur. Exactly. Which is why fine tooth combs work, but yeah, other, like comb. a brush won't. Because the fine tooth comb is so close together, the tines are so close together that the flea still just can't hang on. But a brush, it's like, pff, that was nothing. Yeah, and if you have a flea infestation or a bit of a flea problem, uh, your flea comb is going to be a good way to tell, Yeah, but it's not going to get rid of that many fleas. You, no. You can flea comb 24-7 and still have fleas. It's the canary in the coal mine. Yeah, but it's a good place. Like, if you do that or if you separate the hair and you see that dirt, flea dirt, they call it. Yeah. That's like either dried blood or poop. Yeah. And a good sign that your dog or cat has fleas. Yeah, it's not flea eggs. No. Flea eggs are clear. That's right, and smooth. So, um... Fleas, like you said, suck blood. They eat what are called blood meals, which I just can't get past. <laughs> um, and they do so because they have specialized mouth parts, which is basically uh, a combination of two saws on the side uh-huh. that puncture your skin. Those are called uh, hmm, L-A-C-I-N-I-A-E. I was going to say Lacinia. Great. Um, and they form a saliva channel which will come into play later on. Yeah. Um, and then they also surround what's called the epipharynx, which is the needle that sucks the blood. That's right. And uh, that is a stylet altogether. Um, it, it forms a stylet, which is the puncturing organ. Mm-hmm. And it basically, it all just jabs into your skin. And that uh, epipharynx is 
working with um, basically stomach pumps yeah. to suck that stuff out. Yeah, which is pretty impressive because it requires a lot of suction Yeah, to get that blood out. Sure. Uh, so, again, pretty impressive with fleas. Jump far, suck really hard. <laughs> they do suck. Yeah. All right, right after this break, we are going to talk a little bit about that life cycle that we mentioned earlier. All right, Josh, flea life cycle. Yeah, again, you can just look to Tracy Wilson and be like, there's like other bugs. It's like a butterfly. It's still worth mentioning. So an adult has some eggs, uh-huh. and those eggs are totally smooth. They don't just appear smooth like the flea itself. They are totally smooth. And one of the reasons why they're smooth is because the eggs are meant to fall off of the host. Like the flea itself is having a blood meal on your leg, laying some eggs, pooping, just doing all sorts of crazy stuff, right? Um, and when it lays its eggs, the eggs fall off and they fall into, if you're in the house, carpet fibers deep in the carpet. Yeah. Cracks in your hardwood floors. Oh man, that's the worst. Outside, they'll fall into the soil and they are just meant to be sequestered away. Yeah. They need, uh, in order to hatch and develop, they need a warm, moist environment. Yeah. About 70 degrees Fahrenheit. 70 to 85% humidity. Although they'll go as low as like 45. Anything below that and they're just not going to hatch. Yeah, exactly. That's why a good winter freeze is going to help your flea problem. A dry winter freeze. A dry winter freeze. Um, your eggs are going to hatch in about 12 days. And that 12-day span is one of the things that makes fleas so maddening. Mm-hmm. Because you can think you've killed all your fleas. And then there are tens of thousands of them that are going to hatch 12 days later. Right. And you go kill those, and by the time you kill those, they've already laid eggs, and this cycle continues, which is why, and we'll get into it, you have to kill the fleas and their eggs Yeah, to, to take out a flea infestation. At the same time. It's challenging. And so um, the egg is sitting there in your hardwood floor or your carpet or out in the soil, and after about 12 days, if the conditions are right, yeah. it'll hatch and it'll turn into a, lo- a larva. Yep. And the larva goes through three instars, or cycles of development, stages of development, and they molt after each one. And after the third instar, it says, I'm going back to my home in the cracks in the floor and spin me a nice cocoon and turn into a pupa. That's right. And like we said, it's sort of like a butterfly. Um, an adult flea is eventually going to emerge from that cocoon. It's not nearly as pretty as a beautiful iridescent butterfly. No, and it's And a butterfly too. doesn't have blood meals, right. <laughs> as far as I know. Um, ooh, there's your next uh, sci-fi movie. Blood meal butterfly? Yep. Look for it after Sharknado <laughs> 3 premiering uh, this March. <laughs> um, about half in a, in a population of fleas, about half of them are eggs, which is why we said they're so problematic to get rid of. And only about 5% reach adulthood. Right. Um, and one reason is because females can only lay the eggs if they've had that blood meal. If they're starving, they will die before they reproduce. Yeah, and what's neat about them, too, is when they're uh, in the pupil stage and they're up in their cocoon and hanging out and developing and everything, because they emerge from the cocoon as an adult. Yeah. But while they're a pupa, they can tell through either vibrations and, and or sensing body heat crazy whether there's food nearby like should i hatch because they right because yeah. they they feed on warm-blooded animals so they can tell and they find these signals in the environment and if they if the signals are right they'll come out of their cocoon 
uh, in, a, I think, a week or something like that. Yeah. If the signals aren't right, they can stay in their cocoon for up to a year. Yeah. And they actually camouflage themselves. They roll around their cocoon in, like, debris and hair and stuff like that, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's why if you have, like, a vacation house and you've eradicated your fleas and then left for the winter, mm-hmm. or I guess you'd be there in the winter, you've left for the, the spring. Right. <laughs> Depending on how you... I don't know how you do your vacation house. <laughs> um, but when you come back, you can, like, that could be the signal, hey, there are hosts here now. Like, it doesn't mean you've been overrun by fleas that whole time. They've just been laying in wait right. for you to come back. Yeah, and then you're back and they say, we're here. Ugh. Let's uh, have some blood meals on you. The females can lay about 20 eggs at a time or about 500 during a, a long life. Is- I saw up to 2,000 in another article. Oh, well, then they'll say between 500 to 2,000. 20 and 2,000. Yeah, but again, they won't, they won't lay eggs if they haven't eaten. No. Um, one of the other cool things about the flea larva is that they actually don't eat blood meals. They eat just about everything else. Hair, dead skin cells, um, flea droppings. Yeah. Nasty, nasty things. Um, just about anything that they'll find in the cracks in your floorboards or in your carpet or out in the soil, right? That's right. Um, but then once they hatch, they go after the blood meal. One of the other things that f- the flea larva eats are tapeworm eggs, which makes fleas, again, super nasty and dirty little creatures. Because once they eat those tapeworm eggs, they grow up to become fleas that have tapeworms. Yeah, the tapeworm actually forms in the gut of the flea. Yeah, it can be that tiny, and uh, then all of a sudden, your animal has tapeworms because they got bitten by a flea mm-hmm. who injected that junk into your your dog. Or more likely, you accidentally ate a flea, or a flea got into your food. Ugh. Or the the your dog ate the flea. The the tapeworm lodged itself in your dog's gut. The yeah. tapeworm eggs were excreted through your dog's rectum and then you eat onto its bedding. Yeah. You pet your dog, yeah. and then you touch your mouth, yeah. and the tapeworms crawl into your mouth, the tapeworm eggs, and then now you're infected. So there's like 80 different ways that a tapeworm, you can become infected with tapeworms just from fleas. And specifically, dog fleas are the ones that carry tapeworms most likely. Fleas on dogs or the dog flea? The dog flea. Okay. Um, so that's nasty. Here's some more nastiness <laughs> for you. Uh, the reaction that you get when you get a flea bite or your dog gets, um, you know, when your dog is scratching, mm-hmm. that is from the junk and the saliva of the flea. Specifically the CTEF1 protein. Yeah, and it, it affects some people and animals more than others. Uh, it was really bad on my dog, Charlie. Mm. Like she had the hair falling out oh. and the bald spots and the the... Hot patches. It was just... She was like, these fleas are driving me crazy. <laughs> I know. It's terrible. Um, and the same thing can happen to people. You know, if you get a flea bite, you can see sometimes you have a few little bumps. Yeah, some people uh, react to it worse than others, but everybody pretty much gets bumps. Those bumps make it even worse because you can scratch it, and some of those bumps will have bacteria, flea excrement around them. Mm-hmm. When you go to scratch them, you can break the skin and actually move the flea excrement that's dirty as all get out into your newly opened break in the skin, and you get all sorts of nasty infections from that. Yeah, you can also get uh, murine typhus, uh, 
uh, in the southern and southwestern parts here where we live. Um, that is caused by the bacteria uh, Rickettsia typhi, and uh, m- mainly on the cat flea and the oriental rat flea. But that's one of the things you can get when you when the the flea is defecating while they're eating. You scratch and you get that infected waste. Uh, yeah, in the scratch, or you know, if you've broken your skin, so you get typhus from it, from Good flea God. poop that you scratch into your skin. And then, of course, we talked about the plague, which is pretty interesting. The plague bacteria actually infects the flea itself, and it develops this film in the flea's midgut. So when the flea goes to eat a blood meal, mm-hmm. it can't digest all the way. So then it goes to feast on the next person, <laughs> and when it punctures your skin, it actually barfs up the undigested blood meal that's now infected with the plague into your skin. Now you have the plague. <laughs> Man, when you hear words like midgut and blood meal and mouth parts. And barf. Like barf is the least offensive of all those. <laughs> that sounds cute. So um, we can understand why everyone wants to get rid of fleas, but some people learn to love fleas, especially in the 19th century. And we'll talk about those people and their flea circuses right after this. All right, Josh, you mentioned flea circuses. Um, I always thought that flea circuses were just fake. Yeah. And that they use magnets and other little things to like move the bicycle and yeah. that can be a flea circus. Sure. Those are called, I believe, uh, illusory flea circuses. No, they have a name. Humbug flea circuses. Oh, that's cute. But there are, were, and I guess still are in some places, flea circuses that actually attach Little leashes and chains to fleas. Yeah. And they do things. They pull things around. Yeah, because here's another astounding thing about fleas. They can lift up to 60 times their body weight. So they're enormously strong. Yeah. 60 times. Like, think about it, man. Like, imagine lifting 60 times your body weight. Can't do it. You'd be crushed. You'd be crushed. It's like that's a huge rock to you, you know? Yeah. It's a boulder. It's a boulder. So fleas can lift their equivalent of boulders. And these boulders, especially in the 19th century, but starting about in the 1600s, came in the form of things like chariots, coaches, hearses, just things that, like, say, a horse would draw, but in miniature. Yeah, and apparently um, before that even, in the late 1500s, a guy named Mark Scaliot, in 1578, he was a watchmaker, and apparently watchmakers were the first dudes who had the idea to... Uh, attach a flea to a chain. And in 1578, he did so. It was a lock consisting of 11 different pieces of steel, iron, and brass, uh, which together with the key belonging to it weighed only one grain, whatever one grain was. It's like a pound and a half. No, 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 no way. So uh, this is the late 1500s? Yeah, and he was the first guy who was like, hey, this little flea can actually carry something. Right, so uh, that caught on, but apparently the, the paying public didn't, catch on to what was really going on, which was these guys had figured out how to actually train fleas. One of the thing, first things you have to teach them is to not jump, and apparently you train them not to jump by keeping them in a sealed container. I was going to say by beating them. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
by like holding their parents hostage. Right. Um, you, you, you keep them in a jar, I guess a see-through jar so they can see their parents on the other side are being held hostage. Yeah. But they jump and jump and they get nowhere and they learn jumping is futile. So a very shallow something, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then after they learn not to jump, you, Tie them up to this harness, this very tiny harness, mm-hmm. and then they live in the harness for the rest of their lives. <laughs> Which isn't long. No, it's about three months. Yeah. But, um, so let's say a flea lives a year. The first six months, it has to mature to about the age where it can learn and it's big enough to, to put in a harness. Yeah. You spend three months training it and then it has a performing life of three months where it's basically just living in this harness carrying chari- chariots around. Yeah. For people's entertainment. There are probably people out there feeling bad about the flea. Yeah, but don't forget yeah. the plague <laughs> and flea excrement. Yeah, all yeah. that stuff. It is kind of sad to an extent. Oh, come on. Um, but in the 1600s, apparently, the public thought that uh, the fleas, the flea circus trainers yeah. were sorcerers. Yeah. That was a big thing. Because that uh, explains it actually just as well. Well, they really caught on in places like uh, Oktoberfest in Germany. They loved it. They still do. I saw a video of a dude in Germany like today yeah. showing his flea circus off. It seems like a very German thing to do. You know? <laughs> sure. We train the fleas to pull the things. <laughs> uh, Is that Andy Kaufman? Sure. Um, Coney Island and Long Beach in California and New York City. Yeah. Um, places like Blackpool, England, wherever there were circuses and freak shows and stuff like that, you you might find a flea circus going on. Yeah, and there's a dude named Andy Clark who's got one going now. He's He's got his hands on 19th century manuals, magazine articles, reviews of the real flea circuses, and he's um, recreating them, I guess. But For we'd him. be remiss to not mention El Bertoli. Isn't that his name? Who? El, oh, El Bertolato. Was, who was he? He was like the flea circus guy, just the legend in the field. Oh, gotcha. He was the chief flea circus dude. You go over in his house, he's got like fleas doing the dishes and... Pretty much. He's cleaning up after him. Yeah. Uh, so, Chuck, flea circus, kind of hard to do. Most people just want to get rid of fleas. Yeah. So there's some ways. Yeah. And like I mentioned, I've had two major infestations, one in Los Angeles where... um I could not find, here's my advice. This is off script. If you want to get rid of your fleas, try and find the source area. Find the head flea. Find the head flea and take a meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Work out a negotiation between the two of you. Right. And it should work out. No chariots. No chariots. Let all the parents go. So find find your source. In in LA, I could not find my source. It was driving me crazy. And finally, I was going, I was outside. I thought, let me go in the yard. And we had this, uh, Sort of uh dead squirrel. No, it was a garage on the side of the house filled with dead squirrels. And filled with dead squirrels, and that was it. <laughs> um, and on the other side of the garage, it was like two feet of space, about fifteen feet long between that and the fence, and that's just the place where nothing ever went. Oh yeah, you know, and except I, the dogs. Oh yeah, except the dogs. And I was walking over there, and what I do is I walk around the yard barefoot if I'm looking outside because yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, you look down and see if they jump on you. And I walked around the corner to this thing, dude, and in five seconds, I had probably a thousand fleas Uh, just crawling all over me. Was it sandy over there at all? Mm, It was kind of dirty, and it was dank and dark. Okay. Yeah, humid. Yeah. And and warm, I imagine. Just not like, like I said, it was not well-traveled. Yeah. And dude, I was like, all right, this is it. 
And I did the thing I don't normally do, which is get a lot of chemicals mm-hmm. and sprayed all over it. Did you set it on fire? Set it on fire. <laughs> Blew it up? <laughs> and pooped on it. And, and that did it. Here's some of my excrement, <laughs> fleas. Uh, and then I had a situation here in Atlanta where I actually got a, had a guy come out and spray um, nematodes um, instead of chemicals. Oh, yeah. You can apparently spray your basement and house and floorboards with, with nematodes. Those are flatworms, right? Yeah, they're living things, apparently, that I guess... Eat the fleas? Yeah, I, I would guess. Yeah. I have no idea, but that that worked. Um, and I also use. Were you overrun with nematodes now? No, they were great. <laughs> they left. Yeah, sprinkle a little on your coffee. So there's some those chemicals you mentioned. There's some pretty cool um, chemicals. Yeah, there's some topical treatments that you can use on your animals, which they say they're safe. I try to avoid them just because I don't know. I just don't think that chemicals that seep into the skin of your animal is ever good. No, I mean, it's a great, you make a good point. You know? Yeah. Which but is I've why, been forced to use them, yeah. which I hate. But if you could control the fleas in the environment, you could conceivably not have to use the chemicals on the That's dog. what the nematode guy said. He's like, I don't ever use that stuff. Yeah. He said, you stop it before it starts. And right. I was like, well, good for you. You own, you've got tons of nematodes in that can. you got a fancy pants dog. <laughs> but... When it comes to those topical things, um, in- IGRs, insect growth regulators. My favorite is the chitin synthesis inhibitor. Those, that's mean. It basically <laughs> creates mutant fleas. Soft that, fleas. That never grow their exoskeleton right, which means they never develop fully, which means they're toast. Yeah, which means they can be killed by dog scratches and bites and things. Yep. Uh, those IGRs keep, that I mentioned keep fleas from hatching, uh, because they mimic flea hormones. Uh, and some of these things will kill just the eggs. Some kill adult fleas. Some mm-hmm. kill both. You pretty much want something that kills it all. Yeah, you want to get the, the worst thing you can get yep. for the flea. So if you do have an infestation, uh, Tracy Wilson recommends some steps to take all at the same time. You don't want to do one or the other. Um, you want to treat your pets and the dank area between your garage and the fence Yeah. at the same time. Mm-hmm. You want to wash all of your pet's uh, clothing, all of their... Their bedding. Their, their clothing, bedding. Their sweaters. All that stuff. <laughs> you want to wash it like five million times in the hottest water you can, probably with bleach if you can, if you can find it. Yeah. Which, it's not that hard. Just go to the store. <laughs> um, you want to bathe your pet. You want to use a flea comb. Yeah. Uh, you want to... got to vacuum a lot. A lot. Like every day, really. She says at least every other day. Yeah. Is that what you said? Well, I mean every day if you really want to... Yeah. I would recommend really twice a day. Yeah. And not don't just vacuum and then put it in the closet. If it's a canister or bag, you want to empty that immediately yeah. outside. It's nice. You know? Yeah. And you want to chase squirrels away. Yeah. And there's a lot of stupid home remedies that say they work that don't... Um, Brewer's yeast, garlic, uh, vitamin supplements, ultrasonic collars, flea collars. None of that stuff really works. No. Trust me. Chance. Uh, I got this one more thing on sand fleas. Did you read this? Yeah. Can to talk about it? Sure. Sand fleas um, are found in tropical areas. Uh, I know they're in Florida, but it mentions the Caribbean, well, they, South uh, America, and s- South Africa. I think that they were native to the Caribbean. I'm sorry, Sub-Saharan Africa. And then oh, okay. they were taken gotcha. to Africa by the in the slave trade, actually. So that's how they spread. Yeah, which is just, just yeah. So if you've ever heard of uh, chigos or chiggers or jiggers or niguas or 
Piquas or Bicho de Pez. <laughs> These are all names for the sand flea. Right. Uh, and this lady uh, was studying them, and she said she's a PhD student named Marlene. Uh, named Marlene. <laughs> and uh, she was studying ways to prevent um, tungiasis infection in Madagascar, which is spread by fleas, the sand fleas. Right. And she said, how are these things reproducing? And she said, look, I've got a flea. And they host in the body. These are different kinds of fleas. They actually root and into your under your skin and live there. Forever. Yeah. So it's disgusting. Well, it's not like just... You have dis- to extract them. Right. It's not just disgusting, too. Once they they move in and live there, and they'll, actually, they'll, they'll move in as groups often. Yeah. Um, they spend the rest of their life there. Over time, walking becomes painful. Eventually, walking becomes impossible. And all of a sudden, there goes your livelihood. So it, apparently, the uh, this article mentions it affects the poorest of the poor. Yeah. So especially in sub-Saharan Africa, it's a real problem among um, the poverty-stricken areas because you get a sand flea in your foot and that's it. You're yeah. toast a year later. Pretty much. Uh, so she noticed that she had one between her toes. And she said, you know what? Let me just let it burrow and see what happens. And she did. And it lived a lot longer than usual, uh, two months. And she said it was still regularly expelling liquid from its abdomen. But she never got any eggs. And the reason... Uh, this happened, she learned, and they now have a new theory cooking, is because she put a sock and a shoe over it right. and didn't let any other fleas in there. Yeah. So basically, this flea never had sex and so never laid eggs. And what they theorize now is that these female fleas can basically lay there in a waiting state for longer than they should ever be able to live, right. waiting for a male flea to come around and fertilize the mature eggs. Science. Science. So now they think basically that this is the deal, and um, they they don't know quite how that's going to help them with fighting it, but they do know that it takes two to tango, uh, for sure. In your foot. In your foot. Yeah. Having sex under your skin. And speaking of sex and fleas, we have to mention the autobiography of a flea, which was an anonymous erotica book what? written in the 19th century, I think the 1880s. It was huge in London. Um, and it is about a flea that, that tells the tale of a girl it's attached to who becomes the sex toy of a bunch of priests. What? <laughs> autobiography of a flea. Wow. Uh, and, uh, I guess that's it. You got anything that can top the autobiography of a flea? <laughs> Definitely not. Flea uh, fan fiction is the ultimate. So, uh, if you want to learn more about fleas, you can type the word fleas into the search bar at howstuffworks.com. Since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail. Uh, spoiler alert on this, people. This has to do with movies that you may not have seen, so stop the podcast now. That is so nice of you. If you, you don't do want to be spoiled about Birdman in particular, which we have already talked about. Okay. Uh, guys, for the last few years, I've cringed and groaned every time you make an error uh, or sweeping statement about films. Chuck, you discuss Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro as the director of The Orphanage, and he had nothing to do with the making of that film. I misspoke. It's The Devil's Backbone, which was about an orphanage. Didn't he? Wasn't he an Also directed by a Latin American. Uh, no. But I was thinking of The Devil's Backbone. Okay. So he's right. Uh, Chuck, you also stated once that James Cameron has not made any good films since Terminator 2, ignoring the fantastic blend of comedy and action that is true lies. Oh, yeah, that was a pretty good movie. I didn't like it. That's why I didn't mention it. 
Um, but when it comes to some movies that change mil- uh, filmmaking, at strong suspicion that would be uh, my first listener mail. So Josh's criticisms of Birdman, he, he suggested first that the scene where Riggin confronts the critic represents the director's uh, pulpitting to the critics. Um, he says, the critics who have attacked him, and he says, that can't be right, because the guy has gotten universal praise for his movies. Uh, I'm sure he's been criticized potentially unfairly in the past. That's what I think. Uh, and the ending of Birdman, Josh, it is heavily implied, and we had a bunch of people say this, actually. Uh, it is heavily implied earlier in the film that the type of psychosis he suffers from, his daughter also sh- shares. Uh, the moment when he returns to the room to find, uh, she returns to find that her father has gone out the window, we hear sirens indicating that he has in fact jumped to his death in reality. But she looks out the window and up to the sky, seeing a hallucinatory image. Um, he will now live on for her as Birdman and no longer her never-there father. Uh, her reaction is also strongly indicative of this as her face does not reflect that of a sane person seeing a human flying through the air, but instead of blissful ignorance. So I've heard that theory that she's, she's you know, he did jump to her death and she's just like uh-huh. suffers a psychotic breakdown. Right. Or that he actually did kill himself on stage and all of that last stuff is not reality. Whose reality is it? I don't know. Ah, who cares? <laughs> Uh, he also takes us to task on uh, Eight and a Half being the birth of surreal cinema, because that goes to Unchin and Delu from 1929, and that Citizen Kane was the genesis of dark lighting. Not so, because film noir goes all the way back to 1920, the cabinet of Dr. Uh, Caligari and uh, M in 1931. I bet this guy's fun to watch movies with. <laughs> and dude, this is the tame version. He was actually... Uh, it was funny, because he was kind of rude, but then he was like, I love you guys. So I think he I was... Just, I want to wear your skin. <laughs> I think he was just being cheeky. Uh, and also, too, by the way, Dial In For Murder, uh, that was Anatomy of a Murder that you were thinking of from uh, Otto Preminger. I looked or it Or maybe up. not, but there was a movie called Anatomy of a Murder by Otto Preminger. Yeah, yeah. Dial M, right, yeah. We, we Dial made In For Murder was Hitchcock, yeah. Right. That's what you said, and I said, I don't know, and then you kept talking, and I looked it up. Right. And apparently some people didn't hear me correct yeah, yeah. and say yes you were right about Hitchcock I guess it was Anatomy of a Murder I was thinking of or Perhaps. there was one that was just called M that was also noir well M is 1931 and it was the first talkie to use M.R. as a wild release wide, wide release gotcha. and that was Preminger no <laughs> or maybe it was. We're going to need a correction for this correction. Uh, he said this email has already exceeded the length that moderate sanity would allow, and it was even longer. And uh, I disagree, sir. You're clearly crazy. <laughs> <laughs> From the first sentence. I'm just kidding. That is Travis Duclo, and uh, he's a good guy. He just He's a film buff and um, took us to task. Thanks a lot, Travis. It wasn't too bad. No. We've survived worse. That's right. Uh, if you want to correct us or throw in your two cents or whatever, because film appreciation, I don't care what you say, is subjective. True. Uh, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 